0: Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Zorba. Africa Amika Na Unai.
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's Audio Bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko, and Figileli Mwati. In our top stories, on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Nigerian activists renew end SARS protests despite threats. Outgoing US President Donald Trump continues to peddle fiction. And in economics news, small businesses bore the brunt of lockdown in South Africa. In sports news, South Africa eliminated from Kosafa under 20 championship. But first up the news with Anoussa.
2: ABC News, independent and impartial. From an African
3: perspective.
4: Aman Musa. Good morning. Ethiopian troops have shot at and detained UN staff after they drove through checkpoints in the conflict-hit northern Tigray region. Government spokesperson Ridwan Hussein says the UN team ignored instructions not to be in the area. Government forces have been battling the Tigray People's Liberation Front in the region since the 4th of November. The UN team was reportedly trying to visit a camp for Eritrean refugees on Sunday when the shooting occurred. There has been much concern about the fate of the refugees following unconfirmed reports that Eritrean troops had crossed into Tigray and had taken some of them back to Eritrea. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged ruling ANC members to refrain from attacking State Capture Commission Chairperson Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. He was speaking at the end of the virtual ANC National Executive Committee meeting. Several party members, including members of the MKMVA, have criticized the Commission over its decision to lay a criminal complaint against former President Jacob Zuma, who attended the NEC meeting. President Ramaphosa said they have all agreed to support and cooperate with
5: the Commission. The NEC agreed that we must confirm our appreciation of the work of the Zondo Commission under very difficult circumstances. We affirm our call to all members of our movement to cooperate with the Commission and to refrain from unnecessary attacks on the Deputy Chief Justice and the work that he has been asked to do by the South African nation.
4: The outgoing head of the joint UN-AU peacekeeping mission to sudan Darfur's region says despite the political changes experienced in the country since 2019, Sudan remains fragile and beset by problems. The mission was established by the UN Security Council in 2007 after what many viewed as a genocide committed against Afuris by their own government's armed forces. Ambassador Kingsley Mamabolo, who led the peacekeeping mission there since 2017, and is current ends on the 31st of December, says the political transition remains complex.
5: Ever since UNAMIT has been there for over a slightly a decade now, the idea has been to try and stabilize the country. This has been one country which has experienced chronic instability for a very long, time, particularly in Darfur, where people have been accused the government of the day of genocide. Uh, as you know, the leaders of that
0: government, I indicted some of them for the crimes that they committed over
2: there. So it's been a struggle to bring this to where we are today, politically and otherwise. We so have removed a government in power that has a lot of influence. And so you can expect that there's a lot of sabotage, uh, attempts to sabotage.
4: U.S. President-elect Joe Biden has set a goal of 100 million COVID vaccinations in his first 100 days in office. He says his first months in office would not end the outbreak and gave details on rollout strategy, but he said he would change the cause of COVID-19. Introducing his health team for when he takes office on the 20th of January, he urged Americans to mask up for 100 days. On Tuesday, a report paved the way for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine to be approved and rolled out for a Americans. President Donald Trump meanwhile attended a summit at the White House of his COVID vaccination program called Operation Warp Speed and held the, uh, the expected approval of vaccines. And finally, medical specialists investigating a mysterious illness in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh say they found traces of heavy metals in some blood samples. More than 500 people have needed hospital treatment since the first cases emerged on Saturday. The BBC's Joel McGivering reports.
3: On Tuesday, day four of the outbreak, more than 70 more people were rushed to local hospitals. Some were dizzy or vomited, others had seizures or memory loss or even frothed at the mouth a team of medical specialists sent to help has been analyzing spinal fluid and blood samples to find the cause they now say they found particles of heavy metals including lead and nickel in some patients blood if that's the cause the next question is where it's come from
4: and that's the news headlines at 730 central african time
2: sabc news independent And impartial from an African perspective.
3: Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa from an African perspective.
1: Thank you, Anne. It is seven zero six Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's Audio bouquet channel eight zero two and on www.channelafrica.co.za. Nigerian youth have begun the second phase of the NSARS protest, which was suspended in October following a deadly military intervention in Lagos. The new phase kicked off with elderly men and women asking government to give them justice in apparent reference to the reported death of youth who were protesting peacefully against police brutality with a call on government to disband the special anti-robbery squad of a Nigerian police which is being accused of committing extrajudicial killings and extortion. Channel Africa's Colin Zato reports from Lagos.
6: Elderly men and women led the way to the beginning of the second phase of the NSAS protest in Lagos with a cry for justice. The women frowned at the delay in dealing with the pressing issues raised by the youths during the October 2020 protest, as well as the freezing of the accounts of those presumed to have championed the cause of the peaceful protest. Samuel at ABC says they did not call off the protest but merely suspended it because of hoodlums.
7: When we suspend the, uh, the protest, we did not tell them that we call off the protest. We only tell them we suspend it for some reason. One of the reasons why we suspended the protest was because the hoodlums hijacked it. And we don't want them to see us like the hoodlums. The second one, they said we will have town hall meeting with the governor. But the town hall meeting was political party, it's not a meeting, it was a party, because the town hall meeting whereby they did not allow the, any of the NSAS movement to come in. They now put some people that they represent the NSAS protesters, which would not know them. Those are the people that came to snap pictures with us while we are doing this movement at Olaya.
6: Just as the news broke up on that there was going to be a commencement of the NSAS protests, the police came out with a warning that any such protest would be seen as treason against the state. Liberos Oshoma says the police force has demonstrated ignorance of the, of the constitutional rights to associate and gather with such statement,
2: The police need to be taught because before now we assumed that... Um, Our police are vast in the provisions of the constitution, but um, from um, the statement credited to the inspector general of police, it is obvious that um, our policemen and women hardly reads, apart from maybe some sections of the police act, they are hardly in tune with the numerous provisions of uh, the constitution, especially chapter four of the constitution. Since I read that statement, I've been trying to actually pigeonhole how a protest can be read as treason. Even when properties are burned, you can only charge those persons for arson. If you look at um, sections of the constitution, section 40 guarantees right to peaceful assembly, section 41, freedom of movement. I think what the police should do is to consistently engage the people because the issues that were raised during the protest are very germane issues of police brutality and then some people talked about um, you know bad governance lack of infrastructure the fallout is the fact that even the police admitted that there was need to actually reform the police and then the
6: speaker of the Oshun state house of assembly timothy Oweye, who received the protesters at the Oshun state house of assembly says the demand of the protesters will be discussed in the assembly
8: as part of our agenda for this 7th assembly that is uh, effective public engagement. We are going to engage those mentioned by this uh, youth, that is the Legger, the commissioner for youth transport, and sport, uh, and the composition of the panel of inquiry. By the time we get back to the office, I will discuss with other colleagues to see how to go about it. We are into it together,
9: and I believe that as a government, we cannot run away from them, as a responsible government.
6: But the FCT police command had been quick to raise eyebrows about the commencement of the second phase and says the move will not be condoned. Emphasis, however, was on violent protests as against the blanket statement which came out from the police headquarters.
2: I believe that those who are planning this uh, uh, protest, they, they are nothing but a, a unscrupulous element who always derive pleasure in a troubled environment and we have let them know that the command will not tolerate any form of protest for now because we are just coming out of uh, the the bad effect of the recent uh, protest that happened throughout the country the command has won and we have uh, uh, put our strategies in in motion to ensure that no any form of uh, violent protest is allowed across the state
6: edward israel Adene says With the government's action, the evidence proves that it is not sincere and that there was evidence anyway that the protest was going to start again
2: Uh, Because there was no closure. Uh, There was no closure the last time. Uh, The government has made a show of uh, meeting the demands of the NSAS protest, but they haven't actually been honest with Nigerians about it. Uh, We've seen a case where somebody in the Nigerian police force brought a suit against the judicial panels being set up. Uh, It is those kind of events that make people feel like the government is not serious about really ending police brutality, really taking care of the demands of young people, being uh, decisive about improving the working conditions of policemen because that's one of the major things that the NSAS protest was about. The peaceful protest has taken off in Abuja,
6: Lagos and Oshobo where the initial fireworks for the first phase kick-started the protest. Will the government apply any form of force to keep the people out of the streets again? The next few days we tell the story. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins of Before for Channel Africa News.
1: The DRC's former president, Joseph Kabila's political platform, the Common Front for the Congo, has called on ministers from President Felix Chisiquedi's cap for change to quit government. The call comes as a consequence of Chisiquedi's decision to end the coalition between both platforms. Januel Pamweza reports from Kinshasa.
9: Change Your Game is a
10: weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent.
6: Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray
10: various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to part. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving
11: African economy.
12: Channel Africa, the African perspective.
1: It's 7.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Outgoing United States President Donald Trump continues to peddle fiction in his efforts to hang on to the presidency after his resounding defeat by President-elect Joe Biden last November, speaking at an event to tout the success of Operation Warp Speed, which facilitated a government and private partnership to accelerate the development manufacture and distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. The president was asked about the absence of members of Biden's transition team and, as shown and Bryce Peace reports, used the opportunity to list his grievances that have been rejected by the courts. Show and Bryce Peace has more.
13: The president and his allies have mounted more than 40 lawsuits across multiple states that have relied on dubious claims of election fraud and ballot rigging and that have been met with resounding repudiations from judges presiding over those hearings. Trump has long indicated he hoped his legal challenges would eventually end up in the nation's highest court, but that prospect remains unclear given the lack of disclosure from the Supreme Court in Washington on the mountains of litigation to date.
12: Now let's see whether or not somebody has the courage, whether it's a legislator or legislatures, or whether it's a justice of the Supreme Court or a number of justices of the Supreme Court. Let's see if they have the courage to do what everybody in this country knows is right. I received almost 75 million votes, the highest number of votes in the history of our country for a sitting president. 12 million more than the 63 million we received four years ago.
13: The president received just over 74 million votes to Joe Biden's more than 81 million votes and who handily won the Electoral College. Results have been certified in all the states under question as the incumbent places his hopes on state legislatures, ignoring the popular vote and choosing their own electors to the Electoral College who must then affirm the results on December 14th.
12: I received 12 million more, which by the way is a record, 12 million more And they say that when the numbers came out and the numbers came through machines and all of those ballots were taken away and added, all you have to do is turn on your local television set and you'll see what happened. With thousands of ballots coming out from under tables, with all of the terrible things you saw, all you have to do is take a look and if somebody has the courage, I know who the next administration will be,
13: In just the latest move, the state of Texas has asked the nation's highest court to decide whether a change in election laws was improper in four states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin and Georgia, and whether the COVID-19 pandemic was used to justify those changes in order to skew the outcome of the election due to a surge in the use of mail-in ballots.
12: Hopefully the next administration uh, will be the Trump administration, a continuation which has led us to the highest stock markets we've ever had, the best employment numbers we've ever had, a rebuilt military. Uh, If you look at uh, the tax reductions are the greatest in history, the regulation reductions the greatest in history, it leads us to Space Force which nobody thought was possible. All of the things we've done And we were rewarded with a victory.
13: December 8th represented what is known as the safe harbor deadline, which is the broadly accepted date by which all state-level election challenges need to be completed. For example, the state of Georgia recertified Joe Biden as the winner in that state for the third time on Monday after several recounts and audits of the results delivered the same outcome, leaving President Trump and his supporters with fewer options, For what was always a long shot attempt to overturn the election result. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York.
3: Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel, and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time.
1: It's 7.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A Secretary General of South Africa's ruling ANC, Ace Mahashule, will appear before the party's integrity commission on Saturday. This was announced by party president Cyril Ramaphosa at the end of the the last ANC-NEC meeting, which started on Sunday. A three-day virtual meeting was also attended by both former party presidents Tabumbeki and Jacob Zuma. It was called to discuss challenges facing the ANC and mainly the step aside co- conference resolution, which deals with members facing criminal charges, which include Mahashule, ANC MP Bongan Bongo, and KZN MPL Zandile Kumete, among others. Debo Mokobo has more on this and other outcomes of the NEC.
11: The embattled ANC Secretary-General Ace Mahashule is currently on a 200,000-rent bail for charges relating to the multi-million-rent asbestos project while he was Premier in the Free State. And pressure has been mounting on him to step down. But he has stood firm saying a person is innocent until proven guilty by a competent court of law. He also said as an elected official, only party branches can decide on his fate. But after a three-day meeting of the ANC-NEC, President Cyril Ramaphosa said Mahashule will finally come before the party's integrity commission.
5: Our meeting welcomed our secretary general's decision to present himself to the integrity commission on the 12th of December 2020. The officials will process the outcomes of that engagement and the determination by the integrity commission and report to the NWC as well as the NEC within the broad context of the guidelines that need to be put together. And in arriving at those guidelines, we do need to have thoroughgoing discussions with our provinces because they too are experiencing precisely the same challenge.
11: The president acknowledged the robustness of the meeting, saying, although they have discussed issues that had the potential to fuel tension, they managed to reach agreement.
5: We have had to discuss some difficult issues that had the potential to deepen division and exacerbate tensions in our movement. Once again, we have proven many commentators and other public voices wrong. We have not torn ourselves apart and descended into better recrimination. And I guess others possibly expected that there would be walkouts and punch-ups. Sorry to disappoint them. It did not happen. And it will not happen because we continue to seek to forge unity and to find one another. We have not sharpened divisions. In many ways, we have narrowed
11: down our differences. He said they've all agreed to implement the ANC resolution on the fight against corruption.
5: As the NEC, we confirm the firm stance we have taken on corruption and wrongdoing within our ranks and within society. There will be no dilution of the position that we have taken in this regard. We will fully implement the mandate of the 54th National Conference and the decisions made by the NEC, understanding that these are fundamental to the renewal of our organization and to the restoration of the credibility of the movement among South Africans. This is a clear mandate that we were given by the country. Reaffirm the position taken that the ANC needs to draw a line in the sand between the organization and those who steal and those who commit other crimes against our people.
11: Ramaphosa said they've now resolved to deal with all members who are facing criminal charges, insisting that all those will be cascaded to provinces.
5: The officials will finalise the guidelines that will be applied in instances where members of the organisation are formally charged with convicted of or reported to be involved in corruption or other serious crimes. The NEC has taken note of the legal opinions that were solicited by the officials. Now, while technical legal opinions are important as background information, as a voluntary organization, the ANC is duty-bound to follow its constitution, its rules, conference resolutions, and NEC decisions. Of course, it should operate within the parameters of the constitution and the laws of the republic.
11: Meanwhile, the meeting also reflected on the COVID-19 pandemic and called on South Africans to take the necessary precautions to help contain the surge. It also noted that the GDP increased to an annualized rate of 66.1% in the third quarter. I am Tebumokobo in Johannesburg.
1: Former Eskom board chairperson Ben Gubani has told the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture in South Africa that he found it disturbing that there were outside forces dictating affairs at the power utility. Gubani admitted there were corporate governance issues at Eskom but has denied knowing to what extent the Guptas influence contract deals in their favour. Amina Akram reports.
3: The former ESCOM board chairperson said he was not aware of what extent external influences had on the power utility.
0: Well, it's quite disturbing because what we read here should never have happened. I mean, people actually dictating to us, remove PFMA, the board must do this. However, one must also bear in mind that I think it's a bigger problem we have as a country. The issue of governance. So I don't know how to frame it. But I see it as a problem that the country faces. Why is information leaking? I mean, there were accusations, for instance, that the Gupta family was appointing ministers. Why are we having all that sort of thing? With The suggestion that there were people manipulating Agree.
3: Gubani also found it surprising that the Guptas and their associate Salim Issa knew that Brian Mulefe would be appointed as the new ESCOM CEO, a year before it had happened. Gupta associate Salim Issa had predicted in 2014 during a meeting in Melrose Arc they had decided to appoint Molefe as the new CEO. Seven months later Molefe was seconded to ESCOM after Matona and other executives were suspended. Gubane told the commission this was random and that his board had no plans in place to appoint a new CEO.
0: There was a saying when B came in that the same scoundrels were getting all the tenders and all the PE partnerships now in our society there's a very limited amount of people with real skill and capability so it can be easy to predict someone's trans- tra- trajectory you know what i'm trying to yes. say is you get to a situation where the same people circulate
3: mm. you know in different organizations mm. Gubani claimed former Public Enterprise Minister Lynn Brown suggested the name of Bran Molefe to act as GCEO. He also denied allegations that his and Transnet board discreetly negotiated the transfer of Anoj Singh and Bran Molefe to ESCOM in 2015. I I'd written the Transnet board. They had agreed.
0: So we were just crossing the T's and dotting the I's at that meeting. It wasn't the original Start of the request. Now, of course, being chairman, because it was in my office, I introduced the subject as being the secondment of Mr. Motif, not that I was initiating that process.
3: Molefe was appointed as ESCOM's acting GCEO on April, two weeks after its chair Zola Totsi had resigned. Gubane says they were not happy with the previous board performance, especially on its annual reports and financial statements for the utility. Former ESCOM CEO Matona had also informed the minister they were unable to pay salaries in 2015.
1: That report by Amina Akram. Western Cape Province Judge President John Shope has again disputed claims that meetings he had with Constitutional Court judges had been to influence them to rule in former South Africa's President Jacob Zuma's favour in a matter before them in 2008. Shope has been testifying at the Judicial Conduct Tribunal underway in Kempton Park, east of Johannesburg, that's hearing charges of gross misconduct levelled against him. His accused of trying to influence Justice Bess Gabinde and Chris Chafta when he met them individually on different dates 12 years ago. Wisani Makubel reports.
14: Constitutional Court Judge Chris Jafter says he didn't lodge a complaint against Western Cape Judge President John Thope following their 2008 meeting because he didn't believe there was a basis for a complaint, but the complaint had eventually been filed by the full bench of the Constitutional Court. Justice Jafter says he considered the conversation with Thorpe to be innocent and that they are friends who met and talked about a variety of issues. He says they did not discuss the merits of the Zuma matter and that he understood Lopez's position to be that of emphasizing his faith in the apex court.
0: Here is a judgment of the Supreme Court of Appeal, which I recollect in his words had got the law incorrectly. So in that context, I understood it to mean the Constitutional Court, as the highest court, will have to put right that which was wrong in the judgment of the Supreme Court of Appeal. And so it related to the law,
13: yes?
14: Yes. Justice Jafta says he doesn't consider himself a complainant in the matter, but his former colleague, Justice Bess Ngabinde, has a different view. She says she immediately snapped when, during their meeting, Lope started talking about Zuma's case that was before the Apex court. Justice Ngabinde says she initially felt that Lope was overstepping the mark.
15: My evidence is that Judge Lope was attempting to influence the decision, taking into account all these factors that he was remarking about to put together cumulatively I then thought that he may be trying to influence the decision of the court. He did not influence me as I said I snapped and immediately rebuffed and on this issue of privilege we ended the method when he said no my sister I do not mean to interfere with your work.
14: Evidence leader, advocate Ivy Tenga, is also not convinced that Lhope's meetings with Justices Gabinda and Jafta had been innocent. Tenga put it to Lope that he had a burning desire to influence the judges before they delivered their verdict in the Zuma matter. The answer is definitely
0: no. There were so many other judges of the Constant Court that I met
14: in that period
0: of time. I have mentioned Justice Langer, I have mentioned Justices Dekhan Mosenegh on the phone, Square, I mentioned Novo, Madame. and there is no suggestion that I try to do anything to
12: those judges.
15: I just want to put it to you, Judge President, that the banning issue at that time was to discuss that which you went to discuss with the two justices.
0: No, I dispute that. Had that been the case, I would have discussed
14: that with other judges as well. The tribunal has been adjourned to Friday. I'm with Makubele in Johannesburg.
1: Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
14: SABC
2: News. Independent and impartial. From an
3: African perspective.
4: Good morning, I'm Anne Moussa. And the headlines Ethiopian troops have shot at and detained UN staff after they drove through checkpoints in the conflict hit northern Tigray region. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged ruling ANC members to refrain from attacking State Capture Commission Chairperson Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. And the outgoing head of the Joint UN AU Peacekeeping Mission to Sudan staff for region says despite the political changes experienced in the country since 2019, Sudan remains fragile and beset by problems. Those are the stories making headlines.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, soar. Africa Amica na Unai.
1: Thank you, Anne. It is 7.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our financial service provider FinFind has released the results of its study on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic in South African small businesses or SMMEs during the lockdown. The study was conducted with support from several key national partners, including the Department of Small Bu- Business Development of the businesses surveyed 42.7% closed during the first five months of the pandemic. For more on the findings, we are now joined by Robin Irwin, Head of Research Projects at FinFind. Robin, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine.
15: Good morning, Lulu. It's very good to be here and thank you for the invite.
1: Now, Robin, explain how exactly was the study conducted in terms of the businesses that were analysed and uh, some of the key partners that were involved?
15: Mm. All right. Well, um as you may or may not know, aggregate is an aggregator of um, small business funds. So they have a very large database of small businesses which is primarily why all the partners work together because we can now access small businesses from that database. So we ran the survey for um, quite a few months and, and the aim really of this survey and particularly of all the partners concerned, we wanted to understand their position prior to the lockdown and then to have a look to see how they had fared during the various lockdown stages so unlike a lot of surveys that happened right in the beginning it's more a projection so it's the business owner saying well i think it's going to do this what we wanted to establish is what actually was the impact what happened
1: and actually what was the impact because uh, we've seen and we've heard a lot of uh, small businesses having a closed shop and uh, you know what did the findings reveal
15: Right. So at the start of lockdown, and it's quite important to establish the base, I mean, on average, each little business, I mean, averages, obviously, they will vary, but about they employed about six people per business. That was the average. By lockdown level three, they were employing two. So, I mean, I'm talking full-time employees. That's a 60% loss of employment, So you can start to see this impact has got a real human knock-on effect. Um, So jobs were absolutely devastated. And particularly if you start to look at industries such as construction, obviously in tourism and events, these are industries that actually help support a gig economy. So these are people not employed full-time, very often consultants or casual laborers. And suddenly those industries are unable to operate. So our findings are, is that 59.7% were actually, of these small businesses, were unable to trade during lockdown level 5. That's like having a knife cutting through butter. I mean, your, your income just dries up. 76.2% all had experienced a drop in revenue in the first five months. And, and that also has an icon effect, because with less revenue, you, you, your expenses, you still got remain pretty much the same. You still have to pay rent, you still have to pay with staff, you have to pay your suppliers, but now you've got less money. So who are you not going to pay?
1: Now, Robin, let's look at uh, you know try and find some um, uh, positives and all the yeah. the dreary news about uh, small businesses and, and and you know the impact on the economy um, with your you know research how many or what were you able to determine with regards to um, small businesses being able to reopen after the lockdown um, in terms of the different levels of lockdown and uh, those that also have potential of getting back on their feet?
15: Well, what is interesting to note and actually very positive to note is that just over 40% of the businesses that did stay open were able to pivot. In other words, they realized that they couldn't make sufficient money doing what they'd always done, so they found alternative means to do so. So that shows a great entrepreneurial spirit. Optimistically, I mean, I actually think small business owners are fairly optimistic. So 76% of them were pretty certain that they would carry on operating. They didn't anticipate any further knockdowns. They do, however... They're cautious about job creation. They, do, they say, Roughly 32% of them um, say they'll be able to create new jobs, and, and the rest are not so sure. But at least that's a start in the right direction. Um, if we are to help these small businesses, I do think it's important to listen, though, to what they're saying. They do need funding, and the funding does need to take into account... So, um, the impact of lockdown, which was very negative. So you can't use the same criteria to fund a business that you used prior to lockdown. That needs to be amended to help them. And they need help with digital marketing because a lot of businesses haven't really done that much digital marketing. So these are two big factors that going forward, we can help small businesses actually grow.
1: Now, just uh, g- you know, you touch on something that's very key: digital, digital marketing, and uh, um, changing the face of uh, small businesses. Uh, where um, uh, the other day I was chatting to one of one other company, and they were talking of uh, changing the face of, uh, you know. Young people from an early age where the direction should be entrepreneurship and not uh, employment going forward, especially after this pandemic. Um, You know, what lessons do you think the country uh, should pick up or should learn from this uh, pandemic where, uh, you know, small businesses were in crisis and now it's picking up the pieces and uh, moving forward, especially considering the fact that they are an important part of of uh, the economy of the country.
15: Absolutely. You've raised one very important point, and that is we do need to encourage entrepreneurship, but we also need to give it the status that it's due. So currently it's seen as a pretty poor, or by many people, as a poor alternative to a job. Actually, we should be looking at entrepreneurs and saying, wow, I take my hat off to you. I know how hard it is to start that business and look at the success you've made. So if we can really give them the due, I think you start to change people's mindsets about that as an option for um, earning a living. There's a second key thing that I, I do believe we need to start with very, very young, and that's access to technology. I mean, so it's really interesting to note in this survey that 57.8% of the small businesses have never had an online meeting, and suddenly COVID happened, and overnight you must now conduct your business online. So that's a shock, and that's a a steep learning curve. So the more we can get people comfortable with technology and the tools and understand how business can be done, the bigger the horizon, you open up international markets, you don't have to be restricted geographically, you can employ people in different areas, which is happening now. And COVID has fast-tracked that. So we really do need to prepare the young people for a world of online business.
1: Well, Robin, unfortunately we have run out of time, but thank you so much for joining us this morning on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you. That's Robin Owen, Head of Research Projects at FinFind, South Africa's leading access to finance solution for small, medium and micro-enterprises. And she was joining us on the line.
3: When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile.
6: Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa, Every Thursday morning between eight and nine, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between nine and ten, rise Africa, rise.
0: Channel Africa,
6: the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: It's seven forty-two Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The MEC for Health. In South Africa's Mpumalanga province, Sasekani Manzini has raised concerns that some people are using fraudulent COVID-19 certificates to cross the border. Manzini was speaking during a visit to the Oshik border post on South Africa's side of the border with Eswatini to assess the port of entry's compliance with COVID-19 protocols. However, she said she was satisfied with the work done by the officials at the border post. Mtobi Simkalipi has more.
9: Oshuk border post is one of the busiest ports of entry during the festive season. This year, border authorities will not only be focusing on crime-related issues, they will also have to make sure that travelers comply with all COVID-19 protocols. During her visit to the border post, Health MEC Sasegan Manzini said they are ready for the influx of people who will be crossing to the neighboring Eswatini and Mozambique. However, Manzini is concerned that some people are taking chances with fraudulent COVID-19 certificates. Now we are told that there are fraudulent tests uh, that are coming uh, in so forth, but we are happy that with yeah the people are arrested so be warned that uh, you must make sure that you get the test uh, from a a, a lab that is accredited to do those tests because there is a way there's a system in place to pick it up. Oshuk border post manager Life Mkwena says about 15 people were arrested since last month for producing fake COVID-19 certificates. He says most of the suspects we're coming from Eswatini.
2: What we did, we, I mean, took all of them and we handed over them to the Royal Eswatini Police, so that we can, uh, I mean, they can, I mean, assist in investigating as to where actually this, I mean, results manufactured. In the Swatini, but all of them were arrested. The other challenge that we experience is that um, we also experience I mean, a challenge of uh, people that are coming with positive test results to the port of entry and start. I mean, walking right. I mean, into the port of entry, resulting to the port of entry having to be closed, which actually I mean, disturb the entire I mean, port operation.
9: Some of the motorists have expressed satisfaction with the processes put in place to combat the spread of the virus from one country to another. Uh, always when we go across the border, we test at S-O-H-S every time when we go to the border and then we test for coronavirus. and.
14: have uh, this test because like,
9: we have to know your status then we, all, we, we make sure that we are safe when we cross the border. MEC Manzini has urged residents to obey all COVID-19 regulations during the festive season. I'm Toby Mkalipi in Bombela.
1: At 7.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tavi Solohoko.
10: Good morning, my name is Tabi Solo and this is Channel Africa. Over 60% of passenger airlines operating scheduled frequencies into Zimbabwean destinations have returned since Harare lifted the travel restrictions in October in what the Civil Aviation Authority of Zimbabwe say is a good and promising restart. After rolling out the blanket lockdowns to limit contagion following the COVID-19 outbreak in March, Government allowed airlines, along with the forex spinning tourism industry, to resume operations from the 1st of October as pressure mounted to save the fragile economy. Some of the most immediate sectors to feel the heat were tourism, which lost about 1 billion US dollars, and horticulture, which saw shipping charges to international markets rocket from the first quarter. Almost half of small businesses in South Africa were forced to shut down due to lockdown. Now, that's according to a report from financial services firm Finland. The report examines the impact of the lockdown on small, medium and micro businesses. CEO of Finland, Darlene Menzies. It says the study found that around 43% of small businesses had to close down.
3: The study that we did was a five-month study. So from the beginning of lockdown level five up until um, about August month end. So a a study that had a look at, you know, obviously some of the stats in the beginning, entertainment industry, um, restaurants, uh, tourism, uh, travel-type businesses, 60% of jobs, permanent jobs lost, 76% of part-time jobs, and SMEs were taking on 53% less casual labourers. So if we just look at the sample we had, which was about 1,500 businesses that were polled, that took into account uh, the 60% was 4,600 jobs lost just in those 1,500 businesses.
10: Kenyan officials say the new trade agreement with the United Kingdom will protect an invaluable market for local producers creating continuity after Brexit. On Tuesday, Kenya formally struck the deal with the UK, ending an era of doing business with Britain through the protocols of the European Union, from which London will officially exit at the end of December. Trade Cabinet Secretary Betty Mayina and the UK's International Trade Minister, Anil Jaya Wardina, signed the agreement with a lengthy title. The Economic Partnership Agreement between Kenya. A member of the East African community of one part and the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland of the other part. The Zambian expert Johnston Chikwanda says the Energy Regulation Board risks a falling into fuel subsidy trap if it maintains the current fuel prices in the wake of a tumbling kwacha. But Board Director General Langu Wilungu said they review petroleum invoices every 60 days and that guides and that guides whether pump prices can be revised. Chigwanda says that fuel prices are driven by the foreign exchange market. The Bank of Namibia's Communications Deputy Director Kazembiri Zimburuka has announced that Mufiwa Building Projects is another pyramid scheme and people should stop participating in it. This is the fifth pyramid scheme the bank has encountered this year. Before its condemnation by the central bank, Mufiwa has been making rounds on social media for some time, luring unsuspecting individuals with promises of a good place of abode. The US dollar is trading at a 37972 Nigerian Nara, 10.87, 1087 Botswana pula 11041 Kenyan shilling and 211 Zambian Guacha. in BRICS currencies in Brazil 1 US dollar is a trading at 5.10 in Russia 73 rubles 47 India 73 rupees 63 China at dollar is changing hands at 61.53 and in South Africa it's a trading at 15 rand 6 The US dollar is also trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,861 and platinum at $1,027 per ounce, while brand crude oil is at $48.63 a barrel. Africa, your favourite channel.
1: A sports update up next with Figile Linguate. Figile, three of uh, South Africa's uh, um, former players uh, that's uh, Mtawarira, the beast. Um, how my, my trail of thought just disappeared from me. But, uh, but three of our players have been added to, I think it's a, 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 the World, it's the the world, world yeah, Series team.
8: team. Yes, they, they uh,
1: Brian Habana. Mm-hmm
8: they've got that and it's, it's, it's a feather in South Africa's rugby to mm. say that three three is a lot we could have more but uh, to have three it goes to show that South African rugby is, 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 is one of those sports that has been recognized globally
1: mm. give us an update
8: First up, final sports update this hour, we begin with uh, football news where the UEFA Champions League match between Paris Saint-Germain and Turkey side Besak Sir will be completed tonight. The players walked off the field mid-match last night after a match official was accused of racism. The Turkish club's assistant coach Pierre Webo, who's from Cameroon, was shown a red card for complaining about the referee's decision. Their players then accused the fourth official of using racist language in reference to Webo. After on field discussions with the referee, players from both sides decided to return to the dressing room. UEFA has promised a full investigation into the incident. The remaining time on the match will be played tonight with a new set of officials. Tanzania's champion Simba SC progressed to the first round of the CAF Champions League and will now face Zimbabwe FC, the platinum. In the first round, coach Van Vanderbroek deployed a rather defensive lineup against the Peace Boys as John Boko, Chama, and Luis Mukison were the only outright attacking players. Our Tanzania's correspondent Fortunatus Kasomfi reports.
2: Simba had to bank from the victory they got in Nigeria after winning one 0 against the Pratt United of Nigeria. Thanks to the midfielder Zambian international Kratos Chama's goal scored in the first leg, Simba will now face FC Pratnam of Zimbabwe following Pratnam one 2-1 against Costa do Sol of Mozambique. A Tanzanian striker Eres Maguri netted the Zimbabwean side second
8: goal. On to athletics, world 5000 meters champion Helen Obiri and world 3000 meters stable chase champion Beatrice Chepkoech have welcomed the return of the races in the Diamond League circuit for 2021. And Africa's Athletes Association representative, Julius Yego, also hailed the move by World Athletics. Also reinstated in the Diamond League are the 200-meter triple jump and discus that were removed from the series in 2019 beginning in 2020 season. This was met by strong resistance from the Athletes and Athletics Federations across the world. The world's best athletes will fight it out over 13 meetings for a place in the final and a shot at the Diamond Trophy. And finally, Cricket Australia are still planning for the Tour of South Africa to go ahead in February 2021, but are monitoring the health situation after security failure in the country for the postponement of England's ODI series. England and South Africa's cricket boards called off the series after the players were subjected to a number of COVID-19 scares inside the team's supposedly biosecure bubbles in Cape Town. The breaches have cast doubt on South Africa's ability to host touring teams, including Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and Australia, who are all set to play in the country in the coming months. That's the Sport News this hour.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, forza. Africa, amuka na unai.
1: That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzoramagaza, technical producer Sviso Mashiko, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Channel Africa One. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Lena Dembo with the track title "Chitekete." Goodbye and keep safe.